hard song to play on the guitar, but it's a good song to sing. Um, I don't know if you realise this, it picks up the language that comes from Revelation chapter 5, uh, the picture there of that the Apostle John is given this vision of heaven and of uh, the throne of God and people gathered around it and people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue who are there. And that's, that's worthwhile uh, to be remembering as uh, people around us in this community are celebrating New Year, but also as we're reading Psalm 87 today. So can I ask you to open your Bibles back up to Psalm 87 that was read before? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in and have a look at it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that these ancient words that we've read are actually your word, living and active and powerful and effective. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that they're full of truth, not just about a time gone by, but truth about who we are and who you are and how that changes our world. And so uh, we pray that this afternoon as we open up the scriptures together, that it will be your Holy Spirit that addresses our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we might... We might know you and uh, worthily live for you in the fullness of all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to begin this afternoon by taking you back in time to uh, 2015, so not that long ago. I want to introduce you to a 23-year-old, she was 23 then, Canadian woman named Ada Guan. Um, There she is. Uh, Ada and her boyfriend Wesley. Now on the 11th of May that year, Ada and Wesley boarded an Air Canada flight to fly from Calgary to Tokyo. And as the plane's flying over Russia, she feels an acute pain in her abdomen, so severe that she's very uncomfortable in the aeroplane seat. She has to get down on the floor to try to get herself in, in a position where she's feeling better. Um, thankfully, there were three doctors on board the plane, and they take her down to first class where she can have a bit more privacy, uh, and also where they can make her feel more comfortable. Not that they could make her feel all that comfortable, because it's just not comfortable delivering a baby. Uh, Ada had no idea that she was pregnant. She knew that she'd been gaining some weight. She'd taken uh, a pregnancy test a month before the flight, but the test came back negative, so she just thought she needed to watch her eating better. Anyway, there they are, 36,000 feet over the Pacific, and little baby Chloe was born on the aeroplane. A few hours later, after they get priority clearance to land, uh, she's transferred to a hospital in Tokyo. Ada and the baby get great care And it's a happy ending to the story. But here's the question that I think a lot of people had to grapple with and that is worth thinking about. The question is, what nationality is that baby? What nationality is the baby? Canadian parents, born mid-air, somewhere between Russia and Japan, probably over international waters, um, a Japanese hospital, Japanese birth registration, Where does the baby come from? Uh, Who's issuing a passport for this child? 
Different places in the world have different laws governing the way in which a child born in that country uh, gets citizenship or not. So if you're born on the soil of some countries, bang, that's it, you get citizenship straight away. Other countries like Australia, it's a little bit different. Being born here certainly counts for something, but the government also wants to take into account the citizenship of one or both of your parents. Uh, Some other countries, most countries in North America and South America, just being born on the soil of that nation grants you the rights and the status of citizenship. But that's when you're born on the soil of a country. In aeroplanes, it's a little bit more difficult, a little more complicated. Where do you start? How do you figure that out? Is it where you start your journey? Is it where you end your journey? Is it the part of the world that you're flying over at the precise moment of birth? Like, does someone need to rush to the pilot and say, give us the GPS coordinates right now because the baby's just been born? And Well, according to the United Nations... A baby born on a flight is a citizen of a country where the airline is registered, which is probably pretty good news for baby Chloe because mum and dad are Canadian citizens and it was an Air Canada flight, so it seems all pretty straightforward for her. The thing is, where you're born matters. Where you're born makes a big difference as to whether or not you, you can be a citizen of that place. And yeah, of course, you can go through a a process to become a citizen of a country in a place where you weren't born. Um, Lots of us have been through that process ourselves. You've got to meet certain requirements and that kind of thing. But if you're actually born in a place, then a lot of the rights of being a citizen come almost automatically. It makes a huge difference. Uh, Let me give you an example. If I went down to the Uruguayan embassy in Canberra, and just rocked up there and said, I want to become a Uruguayan citizen, I would have to do a lot in order to become a citizen of that nation because I wasn't born there. But if I went to the Uruguayan embassy and showed them a Uruguayan birth certificate and said, I want to become a a citizen, then that would be a whole different thing. Your birthplace makes a difference. And Psalm 87 is a psalm that is all about where you're born. Psalm 87 is about where you're born. It's about your birthplace. And it's about how your birthplace grants you citizenship. And what it means to have citizenship in the greatest city of all time. Let's have a look at the first three verses. It begins by saying, he, that means God. God has set his foundation on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. That's not that God is into doors and gates. Uh, it's saying that, that this is the city, this is the place that is close to God's heart. Then it says, glorious things, verse 3, glorious things are said of you, O city of God. Now, when we read that, it's worth bearing in mind that Mount Zion is an actual place. And if you can afford it, you can go there and you can visit. It's cheaper and faster just to look it up on Google Maps. So there it is, uh, the city of Jerusalem in Israel. The high point of the city is Mount Zion. Mount Zion. Now, as far as mountains go, it's not all that impressive, okay? Uh, 765 metres above sea level, that makes it roughly the same height as uh, some of the kind of mid to lower mountains towns in the Blue Mountains here. But the point the psalm is making is not 
that it's the highest mountain and therefore everyone says, oh wow, Mount Zion, how glorious this is. The point the psalm is making is that this is the place that God has chosen to be his city, to be the place where God and man will live together. Mount Zion is the the city that God has established. And that is what makes it so great. That's what makes it the great city, the greatest city of all time. It's got nothing to do with the geography or the place, the, the GPS coordinates don't come into it. It's the fact that here is the place where God has chosen that he will dwell with the people that he created, that they will be together. That could be anywhere in the world, couldn't it? And that means it's that idea of God and man together is more important than the place on the map. And I want you to remember that as we just think for a moment about the storyline of the whole of the Bible. So right at the beginning of the Bible, we begin in a garden, not a city, but a a garden where God has created this special place where he will dwell with the people who he has created. God and man together. That's at the beginning of the Bible. You go all the way through to the very end of the Bible, the last chapters of the Bible, and we end also with a garden city this time, a great city, the city of God, which is coming down out of heaven, Uh, the, the ultimate city where God is with his people and they dwell with him and he dwells with them. In the story of the Bible, it's all about God and man living together, being with one another, And that point is emphasized in Revelation chapter 21 at the end of the Bible, a little bit further on in that chapter where the Apostle John says he saw this, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. In other words, he's saying there's no need for a temple because God himself is actually there. In the literal Mount Zion in Jerusalem, that's where the temple was built and the temple was there as the place where God and man could meet together. God who dwelt in heaven, who is holy and could not have sin in his presence, said, I'm going to set up the temple where, where I will, this will be the place where humanity and holiness can meet together on earth through the sacrificial system. But you know, John says, in the ultimate city of God, the real city of God, the thing that it's all about, there's no need for a temple. There doesn't need to be a special place where God comes down to because God is already there. The next verse says the city doesn't need a sun or a moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Now that big arc of the storyline of the Bible, we need to hold that in mind when we're reading Psalm 87 and all of the talk about Zion, the city of God. It's good to remember that this bigger idea of the place where we and God live together and God is in our midst, that's the thing that is behind what happened in in Jerusalem 3,000 years ago under King David. It's not so much the place on the map that makes it the bee's knees. The place on the map is just that place that God chose to represent this bigger idea that the whole of the Bible is telling the story of of God and man coming together again. Now, of course, 
That's great to remember because we've got the context of the whole Bible we can look at. But if you were living in Jerusalem at the time this psalm was written, the sons of Korah wrote this psalm, then Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the, the temple, that actually was a very visible place. It was a place that you could visit, a place on earth where you could go to get a sense of the awe of what it means to be in the city of God where God was present on earth. And so it's no wonder that this psalm is all about singing the praises of Zion. Verse 2, have a look. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, not because they're fancy gates, because he loves to dwell with his people. Glorious things, verse 3, are said of you, city of God. And then if you go down to the final verse, verse 7, as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. kind of funny thing to be singing of about a city that's up on a hill in a very arid, dry climate, isn't it? Where for centuries they've struggled to get a good water supply in that part of the world. All my fountains are in you. I think here the psalmist is talking about joy that bubbles up and is self-refreshing, but it's an image also of the city of God that is carried through the Bible. So in Genesis chapter uh, 2, when it's describing the Garden of Eden, it talks about it as a place where there's a river running through it that comes down and branches into the four headwaters, this river bringing the life of God to the garden. Right at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, there's a river that flows through the city, a river of life. In in Ezekiel chapter 43 to 48, when the prophet Ezekiel, the, the temple has been overthrown, but he has a vision from God of a new temple, a greater temple. And from that temple rushes this amazing river that brings life and freshness everywhere that it goes. So as they make music, they'll sing, all my fountains are in you. Maybe that's a clue pointing us to the heavenly city of God, much more than the the Jerusalem city. However you interpret that verse, it's clear that the city of God is worth singing about, that it's a source of joy and celebration. So to visit it, that would be one thing, but to be a citizen of that city, to belong, that's really something, isn't it? To be a citizen means that you belong to the place where God himself lives, where God chooses to dwell with his people. So who are the citizens of this city? Well, Psalm 87 has a surprising answer. Surprising, at least, uh, for the average Israelite in the time before Jesus. This just would have come as a shock, but yet here it is in the scriptures. So have a look at verses 4 through to 6. I will record Rahab. Uh, That's code for Egypt. In parts of the Bible, I'll record Rahab and Babylon, the other great enemy that conquered the Israelites. I'll record Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. And I will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. Then verse 6, the Lord will ride on the register of the peoples. This one was born in Zion. Do you see the the repetition that's going on there in the last half of this psalm? The, The emphasis, the theme that's coming through? 
The psalmist is saying, being a citizen of this city, being a true member of the city of God, it's not simply something that's decided on appearances or where your family come from or what traditions you grew up with. In fact, they talk about a glor- glorious things being spoken of the city and the outrageous and glorious thing that's being spoken of in this psalm is that people who were born somewhere else in a totally different place, are being counted as though they were born right there in Zion. The outrageous and glorious, wonderful thing that's being spoken of in Psalm 87 is that God is taking outsiders, people who don't belong, and he's making them insiders, people who have a place and a home and the rights of citizens. They may be born in Egypt or eastward, uh, maybe in Babylon or Balgala, But God says, these are people who are born from above, born from the heavenly city, citizens of that place. God is making them citizens by giving them a new birthplace. See, your birthplace matters. Where you're born matters. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says something very similar, doesn't he? He says there's only one way, just one way for a person to gain citizenship in the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly city, that is, a person needs to be born again. Or an equally valid way to translate that verse, and maybe uh, I think it's doing double duty here, born again could also be born from above. See, your birthplace makes a big difference when it comes to citizenship. And this psalm, Psalm 87, is saying that the same sorts of things that Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, our citizenship in God's kingdom comes through God doing something in us, through God registering a new birthplace for us. It's not through us being clever with the Bible. Nicodemus was one of the teachers, the lawyers, the the Bible men of Israel. It's not through living a good life or trying to please God. It's like, just like being born ourselves, we don't get any say in that happening. This is God's work. It's his generosity that does this for us. And that's the other great thing about this psalm. This psalm doesn't just talk about outsiders. Uh, if you think in political terms, this psalm is talking about the enemies of God, the enemies of Zion, the enemies of God's people being changed and made citizens becoming people who belong, outsiders being brought in. And that's exactly who we are, isn't it? We are outsiders who God wants to bring in. We are enemies of God. Remember what it says? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God takes outsiders and enemies and he gives them a new birth, a new birthplace, a new citizenship a new hope. So I want to ask you, where's your hope today? Where's your hope? Is it in Jesus Christ? Is it in the things that God has done for us? The things that God has done for you? Or are you working really hard and hoping that you've worked hard enough that God will pay attention and let you in as a citizen? For some countries, like Australia, 
We don't ask too much of people born somewhere else to become citizens. We keep it fairly simple. It doesn't work quite that way in the city of God. You can't just work hard enough and get granted citizenship. You must be born from above. You must be given this new birth. It's the only way. How good it is then, how good it is that God gives to us freely at great expense to himself what we could never do for ourselves, even while we were still sinners. And I think this is at least some of the glory of the city of God that's being spoken of in this psalm. It's part of the joyful things that are being sung about and celebrated in verse 7. God's glory shines brightly in that he takes his enemies and he makes them citizens. God's glory shines brightly in the fact that he is gathering together people from all the nations, many peoples, and he's saving them by his grace and mercy, forgiving their sins through the cross of Christ and his resurrection from the dead. That's true of us, isn't it? Like here we are in Epping, uh, in Australia you know, thousands of years after on the other side of the world to this psalm being written. And this church, our congregation, we look around, we are a little outpost of this glorious city of God. Amongst the people in this church, we come from all over the place. We come from Hungary and Canada, from Hong Kong and Malaysia, from Kenya, from England and Scotland and Sri Lanka, Uh, We've come from Korea and the United States and from Holland and Indonesia and China and Lebanon, South Africa, Mauritius. We come from all over the globe, all sorts of places with all sorts of different traditions. But right now, gathered here with our hope set on Jesus, we are an outpost of the glorious city of God. It's a wonderful thing. I I love the way that in Ephesians, uh, Paul in chapter 2 talks about how we were separated from God's covenant, separated from his promises, under judgment, and yet through the cross, God has brought together people, made us into one new man. And then in in chapter 3, verse 10, he talks about how God's intent was to make known the multifaceted, manifold glory to the heavenly places. And where was he going to make that shine forth? In the church, in the gathering of all these people who once were enemies, who are now being granted citizenship, who are from all different nations, who are now united together in Christ. Right now, with our hope set on Jesus, we are an outpost of the glorious city of God. One last thing um, that I want to add in, something special that I had uh, not planned for. Um, I chose the, the passage back in November, I think, that this would be what we preach on in, in January. And uh, at that stage, the Schwartzes did not know when they would be going back to Ethiopia. But here it is. Uh, this is what we're preaching on. It's the Sunday before they leave to return there. And of all the people that get mentioned, all of the different nations and groups mentioned in Psalm 87, one of the groups that's specifically mentioned is Cush, which is that region of northeast Africa that we know today as Sudan and Ethiopia. How about that? <laughs> there it is right in the text. It's about uh, God gathering people together from Ethiopia. And so 
Kim and Steph, I get to say this to you four times today, uh, but for the sake of the congregation as well, look, isn't it a great encouragement that you can know you're going to a place that God says very clearly in the scriptures, he is giving people new birth, new citizenship from the heavenly city. That's part of the great news of Psalm 87. And as you work with SIM there and as the word goes out into all the parts of Ethiopia and as you help to sustain and build that ministry, you can know that it's going to be effective. You can know that God is going to do his work there. He will gather people from that nation and from all the other nations that are there gathered in Addis Ababa, uh, like in your church. Here's a photo from uh, Kim and Steph's church in Ethiopia, uh, the International Evangelical Church. And he's going to gather a people there for himself, grant them that new citizenship. Uh, in the school that the girls go to, Bingham Academy, people from all around the world as well. These are places where, though you leave this outpost here, you're part of other outposts of the glorious city of Zion, the heavenly Zion. And so when we hear back from you guys here in Epping, in this outpost, about what God is doing in those other outposts, we will get to say, yes, glorious things are said of you, Zion, city of our God. The Schwartzes and the rest of us here in Epping, we're engaged in the same mission. We are part of what God is doing in this world to shine his glory as he gathers people, gives us citizenship, hope, life in Christ. And as we go forth in that mission, we're depending on the same God. So let's turn to him now in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that here in the scriptures you remind us again and again of your grace and your mercy, your generosity to us in Christ, that you give us what we could never earn and you give it freely. We thank you, Lord God, that this is where your glory shines forth, that you've chosen to reveal, even in the heavenly places, uh, the multifaceted glory of God in the church, the church here, churches down the road, the new church that's being planted in Hornsby, the churches of Ethiopia and Addis Ababa. Father, help us to never forget what a wonderful blessing it is to be citizens of that heavenly city. Lord God, help us never to forget that though it might feel frustrating and feel as though not much is happening sometimes, that the church is actually one of those places where your glory shines forth. And Father, with that knowledge in our heads, let it well up into a fountain that can never be extinguished in our hearts of joy and praise to you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.